No place like Long Island. No place like home. Here, pray, pray with me for the message. Dear, dear Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you give it to us to study, to, to, to love and to cherish. God, I ask that you would teach us much today about who you are, God. That you would teach us much today about mothers, God. That we would really sit and camp out with you, Jesus, and just, and just be with you in all things, God. So may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be a pleasing fragrance unto you, Jesus. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Moms, you're important. You are valuable. Your ministry to your family is seen and has cultivated much righteousness. You might not feel that way, though. You may feel unseen, unimportant, and not valuable. You may even feel forgotten. And that all that you have done for your children is in vain. But fear not. Nothing done unto the Lord is wasted. And all that you've sown in the lives of your children will be reaped. Take Timothy in the Bible, for example. We learn in Acts 16, 1 through 5, that Timothy's mother was a Jewish woman and his father a Greek, a, a Gentile. Jews were forbidden from marrying anyone who was not a Jew in this time period. And even more peculiar was that Timothy was not circumcised, which for any born Jewish boy should have been done on the eighth day after their birth. So Timothy, in effect, is too Greek for the Jews and too Jewish for the Greeks. And he's dealing with navigating through two cultures, two racial identities. And he's got a non-believing daddy who's not going to church on Saturdays and not putting Timothy through his rites of passage. And yet, we learn in Acts 16.2 that Timothy was well thought of by the brothers. How, how then did a young man who's got the cards stacked against him by all means in this ancient world, in this Jewish society, come to be well thought of by early Jewish Christians? By the faithfulness of his mother and his grandmother. It says in 2 Timothy 1.5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now... I am sure, dwells in you as well. See, Tim, Timothy's grandmother and his mother were faithful Jews who loved the Lord, who upon hearing about Jesus, believed him to be the, the Messiah, the anointed one. They, they instilled this in Timothy as well. And later on in 2 Timothy in 3.15, Paul writes, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, knew the scriptures, and they taught them to their boy. Even if Timothy's daddy wasn't doing it, even if he opted not to have Timothy circumcised, which was the father's responsibility in Judaism, his mother and his grandmother persevered in the faith giving to Timothy what they knew of the Lord. They did this so successfully that when they heard of Jesus during Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra, they were able to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. Meaning they, they read the scriptures, they treasured the scriptures, they taught them to Timothy. So when Paul came around, they understood that Jesus was fulfilling the things that they had read about all their lives. They were able to recognize the truth and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, Scripture never once mentions the name of Timothy's biological father. 
but has immortalized, immortalized his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois by their love for the Lord and instilling this in Timothy. Scripture also frequently cites the relationship between Paul and Timothy as that of father and son. So what then do we do? We have a biological father who's not really that around and not caring about their religious beliefs. You have, you have a mom and grandmom who are doing it and who are spiritually doing it. And then you have a gentleman that Scripture frequently goes between calling Timothy his son and Paul, the father of Timothy, on and again throughout the New Testament. What does this mean to us? It means that we are all to be spiritual parents. And every woman, a spiritual mother. You may not have biological children, but you could have a very full quiver of spiritual kids. Your biological children may be grown, but that doesn't mean that your parenting is done. And Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 4.15 when he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. From the scripture, what then is the apex of discipleship? Teaching? Nah. Guiding? Nope. Parenting. Parenting. It's being a mother or a father in the faith. Put it like this. You have many guides in Christ, but I long to be your father. <clears throat> Excuse me, I long for you to be fathers. You have many sermons you could watch online, but I long for you to be parents. You have many Zoom calls available in Christ, but I long for you to be parents. You have plenty of Bible studies and Bible study leaders in Christ, but I long for you to be parents. You have many ministry meetings and many ministry heads in Christ, but I long for you to be parents. You have many teachers in the faith, but I long for you to be parents. From what we know of Christ's love for us, a person should be able to turn their head in any direction in the house of God and find someone who loves them. We should be able to find upon any turn of direction a mother or father in the faith to us. This is the top tier of discipleship, being a good mother or a good father in the faith. See, the greatest role that God calls us to address him by when we pray isn't our teacher who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's our father, our father who are in heaven, holy be your name to be most conformed to, the, to, be, to his image and to be like him, and most, uh, to be most like him unto others is to be a parent, to be a mom, or to be a dad. So don't aim for teacher. Don't aim for guide. Aim for parent. Mothers, I mean, you're desperately needed. If you're a woman in the faith here today, you are needed to be a spiritual mom to someone. You need to walk through life with someone and show them what's up about Jesus and this life. You should walk around and be known as everybody's mom. So then what then does it mean to be a spiritual mother? Well, Paul writes about this in Titus 2 when he says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
So what does this mean? We're going to take this bit by bit. Reverent in behavior. To be holy in the way that you carry yourself. This means that the attitude of holiness that you have on your best Sunday, which for me is right now, I think you all look splendid and looking great, needs to be the same on your worst Tuesday. You gotta be mature in your actions and dealings, oh spiritual mothers, as you will be watched. And this is the behaviors that others will model, meaning people should be able to watch you and see you and not just, you know, do the talk that you talk, but be able to walk the walk that you walk. You know, the whole, not do as I say and not as I do, but they should be able to do as you say and do as you do. Not a slanderer. You can't be a gossip and be a spiritual mom. You can't be a gossip and call yourself mature either. The, the Greek word for slanderer there is diabolos, which is the foundation of our English word for devil. <laughs> yeah. Paul's requirement for older women is not to be a devil. That's heavy. If you're, a spiritual, if you're a mother or a spiritual mother was a slanderous devil, would you respect her? Would you be able to take her counsel with ease? Spiritual mothers, don't provoke your spiritual children to anger or disrepute them. Encourage them. Walk with them through it. Filter out the noise of what they're saying is going on in their life and make sense of it for them. Help them through it. Offer the right word to them. Don't be a slanderer or a devil. Not a slave to much wine. This one should be obvious. Don't be an alcoholic parent. Scripture teaches us to be sober-minded. If you're hitting the vino hard, you're unable to see the things of God and think coherently. With a clouded heart and a confused mind, how can you parent? Don't commit yourself to drunkenness and offer spiritual counsel to others. One can't serve two masters, so find the sin in your life and be able to deal with it to be the best mom, spiritual, biological, or otherwise, that you are to be. This is my favorite part right here. Teach, teach what is good. The word here in Greek, kaladidaskalos, it's a long one, kaladidaskalos, literally means teacher of virtue. But the sense of the word goes beyond our understanding of, of good or, or virtuous or moral. The root word kalos means beautiful noble, excellent, of honorable character. The woman of God who seeks to be a spiritual mother needs to not only know the things of God, but they must be beautiful to her. She must then offer what she knows to those around her, meaning you don't, you don't read the text and then sit there and parse out and do tensing or this or that or learn the things of God and know the Ten Commandments or whatever, but you're sitting there and you're holding it tight in your heart and the teaching of God that's in there that you're reading as you're meditating on it day and night, like Psalm 1 says, you're finding it beautiful and magnificent. And what's coming out of your heart is this beauty and this goodness unto others. That's what should be there. Scripture says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Can the overflow of our hearts be something beautiful and good to give unto others? Teaching what is good. This doesn't mean that you have to have a seminary degree or a Bible college degree, or know every little thing. But you should have a working knowledge of the things of God and treasuring Him above all else in this world. If you value Jesus Christ as your supreme treasure, you'll know what you need to know. And you'll be able to give what you need to give unto others. You know, sometimes the Bible can be confusing. 
But if you sit there and you're like, I love you, Lord. I'm gonna take this bit by bit. I know you're going to instruct me. I have you so tight in my heart, God, as I'm doing this. He'll help you understand throughout time. Don't quit on it. Train the young women to love their husband and children. If you're a settled down woman with husband and kids, you have what the majority of young single people want. (laughs) Your ups and downs, your in sicknesses and in health. You're for richer or for poorer. That's all wealth of life experience to offer younger women. As you've learned the Lord in your marriage and your mothering, if you've pursued that, you must offer these experiences to younger women. You must offer these experiences to young women. One more time, you must offer these things to younger women. Must. Every victory, every joy, every failure, every set of tears in your life, both positive and not, are meant to train and bless another. From this deep well, older women, you must mother the younger women. If you're here today and you're widowed, take heart. There is a place for you. You are amazing. You're in a new chapter that might not make much sense to you right now. And you're very sorely needed to disciple the younger women around you. There is beauty in grief. And there is much fertility in the soil of ash. Fertilize the ground of the women around you. Be self-controlled. To be self-controlled is to be moderate, is to have earthly passions well-bridled and tamed by a way of having heavenly affections for heavenly things. Meaning you take the, the, the passions and desires of the heart that are not of God, but are of the earth, that are of the flesh, and you're controlling them and bridling them. But you don't just do those things from like a 12-step or from an accountability partner or from a quick prayer. You do those things with those structures in mind by finding the greatest affection in Jesus and having that be your satisfaction and your treasure more than the things of this earth. Be pure. It's to be in holiness. And if you kind of look at kind of the trend here of what Paul is saying to older women, he's saying to be mature by being holy, moderate, balanced, and controlled in all your ways. This sets an example and conduct for younger women. And younger women, if you've been tuning me out up until this time, this is what you should strive for. This is the bar. This is what you should be reaching. Don't, Don't wait for someone to personally invite you to it. You have the knowledge of it now. Dig into the scripture in Titus 2 and figure it out. Work at home. Simply put, don't forsake your family. Ultimately, they're your first ministry, whether you are a father, a mother, a son, or a daughter. Older women, work hard as unto the Lord and unto your family before anyone else. Set an example in this way. Be kind. Kindness is to be generously gentle. And what does that mean for motherhood? Spiritual moms, give that hug. Offer the hand on the back. Deal gently with a bruised reed. Drink a cup of coffee or tea and hear where they're at. In short, go full mom. To be a mom is to be kind. Be submissive to their own husbands. I would like to qualify this to say that this does not mean leave it to Beaver or any other 1950s sitcoms that are often seen in black and white. This refers to a man's spiritual headship over the family 
He spiritually leads the family. And this is God's design for marriage. So to be a spiritually mature woman, a spiritual mom means understanding, living, and teaching God's design for marriage. As we know, as God designs things and we follow it, the more likely it is to work. If I was to make a set of architectural plans and to erase one column, I would suggest that the building might just fall apart from the loss of a column. But if we understand the design for it and have everything there and operate in it, I would say that there would be greater success in the health of this building. And so it is for God's design in anything, but especially so in the family and in marriages in every area of our life, that as we pursue God's design and do things His way, since He's God and He knows all things and designed it, that we would have greater success in this, greater success in our families and our marriages by following God's design and God's way. So what does this mean right now then? It means, men, you got to step up and lead spiritually your family and give your wife some space. Give her the room to pursue the Lord. Spiritually lead. Give her the room to do this list here in Titus. And women and men, you got to figure this out together then in your life, in your marriage, how, how, where you're at and what God's scripture is saying and if there are any deficiencies where they are and how to meet them. But now, ladies, Paul, Paul gave you a long list, like a long list of wonderful things to aspire to be, the bar. And here's the deal. The church needs you. The church needs you. The church needs your ministry to younger women. You are so valuable and so important with a ministry that is needed now more than ever. What is it then that we need? We need moms. We need dads. We need moms. We need you to pursue everything God has for you and want you to be so that you can mom to the highest level. You know, in, in, the, fir- in the first service, I kind of something had hit my head that I hadn't quite included in my notes. And that was when I was growing up in church, I don't remember a terrible amount of what one, either of the two pastors I had throughout time there a lot of what they were saying. I don't, I don't necessarily remember every congregational meeting or every this or that, but what I do remember is I remember every, every person along the way who came and spoke to a small child. I remember every spiritual mother and father along the way. I've been fortunate enough to have dozens of them throughout my life. And that what's enabled me to be here in this phase of my life is, isn't a call, a prayer, and a commentary. <laughs> But many spiritual mothers and fathers along the way who have poured into my life to, to help me mold me to who I am now. And any fruit that I bear and any fruit that you bear belongs also to your spiritual parents before you. And that is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. So when you look around the church and turn in any direction, oh mothers, you will see your spiritual sons and daughters Sisters in the faith here today, we need you on this Mother's Day and every Mother's Day from now on to pursue spiritual maturity and motherhood. Happy Mother's Day. You're all loved so very much. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word, God. Thank you for for mothers, God, that you have put many people in the call of motherhood 
and that you've put so many sisters in the faith in strong positions of motherhood, God. I ask that you would bless them, that you would bless their ministry. God, I ask that you would bless what they're doing. God, I ask that you would encourage them and give them Sabbath rest today. Lord, I thank you for, for everyone that you've personally put in my path that's been a spiritual mother or father to me. And Lord, I ask that you would bless them. So please, God, bless us here today by, by the understanding of your word. And Lord, may we all begin this journey of spiritual parentage if we haven't been on it. And if we are, Lord, I ask that you would encourage the hearts of the parents here today, Lord, that their investment is not wasted, God, but that, you are, that much is being done in and through their lives by your very hand and power. And we ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.